0: Welcome to Limeless Behind the Green podcast, where we get the inside scoop on all things sustainability and talk to people prioritizing and building a greener tomorrow. I'm your host, Rebecca Smith, and today I'm joined by John Smea, VP and Senior Analyst on the Circular Economy at GreenBiz, and Suze Oakey, Director of Design Strategy and Senior Analyst on the Circular Economy at GreenBiz as well. John joined Green Business circularity team in 2022 after nine years doing corporate sustainability work in the building products industry. He holds a PhD in chemistry from UC Sandy, Diego. Suze has been at Greenbus for three years and is passionate about redesigning our economy to enable a more just and resilient world. She holds an MBA in design and strategy from California College of the Arts and has a background in the arts. Today, we'll dive into how fast fashion can create a challenging cycle for the environment throughout its entire supply chain, from where materials come from to how it travels across the globe to how consumers then dispose of these items as they deteriorate, since we all know from experience that they will faster than we'd like to admit. John and Suze bring insights from what they've seen in the space and what they expect and hope will change in the coming years around creating a more sustainable and more effective circular economy. Let's dive right in. Welcome back to the Line Behind the Green podcast. Uh, today I have John Shmeya from Greenbiz as well as Suze Oki from Greenbiz. If you both could give a little intro to yourself, that would be fabulous.
1: Yeah, I will, I will start us off. Uh, thanks for having us, Rebecca. Uh, I'm John Schmeyer. I lead circularity here at Greenbiz Group. Uh, before that, I spent almost a decade in the building products sector doing corporate sustainability. So I have a little bit of experience in this space and I'm a recovering chemist, uh, from, from way <laughs> back in the day before I started this work.
2: And, and yeah, thank you so much for having us. Um, I'm Suze Oki, um, Director of Design Strategy and Senior Circular Economy Analyst at GreenBiz. Um, I have been on the GreenBiz team for three years now. Uh, my background is actually totally different. Um, used to work in the arts uh, nonprofits prior to, to shifting career paths and joining the sustainability train. Um, but I've always been an eco-warrior at heart. Um, Always very conscientious of my my recycling and consumption habits. So it was a very natural fit when I when I landed at Greenbiz.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Love that. That's perfect. That is perfect. Eco Warrior at heart too. That's that's great. That's great. Um okay. So since you guys both, I mean, circularity is really where you where you focus on at Greenbiz, um, let's really set the stage for this conversation. Can you tell us a little more about circularity or what a circular economy is?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll get us started. Um so, you know, at at Greenbiz we sort of, we look at circularity and circular economy as synonymous. Um you know, really circularity is our our title, our branding for our conference and sort of how we go out um into the world talking about circular economy. Um but really, you know, both terms represent the idea that in order to support the growing population of humans as well as maintain, you know, some sort of natural integrity on earth, we need to completely remake the global economy um, in a number of ways, uh, whether it's wasting less, keeping products and materials in circulation longer or uh, regenerating natural systems, uh, preferably all the above.
2: Exactly. Um, And those those are actually the three principles that the Ellen MacArthur Foundation um, has put out as far as what it defines as circular economy. Great resource as far as um, if anyone's interested in diving deeper on on circular economy topics. Um, But in general, you know, it really comes down to the idea that we need to be extracting less from the earth and we need to be throwing away less. Right now, we have a straight line of consumption where we extract, consume, and throw away. And in an ideal world, we would be cycling everything back into the system and, you know, you know, often people think, okay, that means I need to be recycling in the you know packaging that my products come in, and that is great and definitely part of the conversation, but um, I think often we, uh, John and I, try to think of ways to encourage people to think higher and with um, greater ambition when it comes to consumption, and um, It's not just about the packaging it's about the products themselves it's about everything that we consume as humans Um, and really recycling it should be the the lowest goal, the bigger goal should be products that last longer that can be repaired that can be reused. or uh, in general, just keeping any, any material that's extracted from the earth or, or, um, or grown at its highest and best use for as long as possible. So really shifting the way that not just how we make products and, and use products, but yeah, how we, how we consume products really.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. We think about recycling a lot rather than when we think about those three R's, the reduce, reuse, and recycle. We focus so, so heavily on that recycling piece, but what about those two before, right? Because if we reduce more, then we're not going to have as much to recycle. If we reuse more, we're not going to have as much to recycle, right? So... Absolutely, tracking with you on that. Yes. And that is a um, great, great segue. I want to talk a little bit about fast fashion. Um, that is something that um, is a very hot topic, especially now there's been a lot of brands kind of in the spotlight on that. Um, and so most consumer purchases are purchases that they're not really purchased with the intent um, to send them back after a few wears, right? You wear them, you buy them, wear them once, twice, and some people then discard them then. What really, what impact really does fast fashion have then on a circular economy, kind of thinking with that in mind?
1: Yeah. This uh, <laughs> this is one of one of Susan and I's uh, favorite topics to talk about. I think uh, you know Perfect. fast fashion, and really any fast production or consumption, right, is uh, sort of sort of the scourge of the circular economy. It represents you know so many issues with this linear economy that we're in today. Um, you know, just to go through a few. I mean, number one, a fast fashion companies and anybody making sort of low cost high volume products tend to overproduce those items uh, you know, quite a bit more than they're going to be able to sell to make sure that they're in stock. So a lot of that overproduction ends up being destroyed or sold for next to nothing and underutilized as a result. You know, A second piece of that, especially with fast fashion is sort of the seasonality, right? All of these companies are trying to design for every season and putting out new products every season. So that just adds to the overproduction that they're already, that they're already getting into. Um, Another one that has been, you know, an, an important part of this story for a long time, but especially over the last three years through COVID, right? A lot of this fast fashion product is being sold online and shipped around the globe. So that increases the amount of waste that goes along with this fast fashion, right? It's being shipped in plastic bags and, and cardboard boxes and mailers that are a lot of times being thrown away, Um Another one that that you actually mentioned, Rebecca, is this this idea that a lot of these items are only worn a handful of times and then disposed of. Um, And a lot of that disposition is through just outright throwing it in the trash, which is obviously awful. A lot of it is through donation, um, but You know, most of the indications now are that the donated amount of clothing is more than the globe actually needs. Uh, So a lot of this stuff is ending up in mountains of waste uh, in developing countries and causing pollution problems there. So that's obviously not great. And then the last one um, that I'll bring up is really that a lot of these fast fashion items are low quality from the start, right? So even if you wanted to wear them for a really long time, they're not going to last, they're going to break down. Um, And so they're not, you know, they're not durable enough for multiple users, they can't really be repurposed in any meaningful way. Um, And they're sort of they're sort of made almost distinctly for this linear economy that we're stuck in now.
2: Absolutely. I, you really, you kind of get what you pay for when it comes to fast fashion. There's a reason why it's so cheap and it's off. It's because it's not something that's going to last. And often it's made from toxic chemicals, from things that are going to be highly destructive when produced. And then they're produced at such scale that it's exceedingly destructive by, um, um, just the order of magnitude in which they're being pumped down to the world. Um, but I'm, I'm going to just add tack on to what, what John just um, outlined. Beyond them being exceedingly destructive, um, I think what's unfor- uh, unfortunate is that it really encourages, enables, and almost idealizes this culture of consumption that we um, should be consuming a lot of new products and that in order to um, you know have an interesting aesthetic or to be myself or to be... Um, uh, you know, fit in with this world, I need to have this giant wardrobe, I need to look differently every day, or, um, you know, I don't want to be seen with the same outfit twice. Um, and really, truly, we we have to shift, if we want to, to live sustainably on this earth, we have to shift the way in which we interact with goods um, and products, and certainly with fashion. And, um, the you know movement towards capsule collections or um, a minimized wardrobe is something that I think is exciting and, and um, compelling. What we really need is durable goods, durable products that last long, um, and that can be not just physically durable but emotionally durable, things that we emotionally connect with and want to hold on to. Um, and unfortunately, fast fashion rarely hits the bill on, on the ladder, um, so I think it it's synonymous with a, a big thing that we'd like to see shift dramatically as far as um how our economy operates.
0: Yeah, absolutely and not even just thinking about it from like that green perspective also but like I mean our credit cards at this point are going to love us even more too if we're only buying the things that are actually truly bringing us joy and that and that we can connect with on that emotional level, right? Um Yeah, you mentioned something before also, John, about, um, well, both of you, I guess, brought this up where it's not just talking about um, the materials, right, that get brought into it. But if you're thinking about that entire process um, from start to finish, it's that you're also including, you've got carbon emissions, you've got wasted water, right? There's a whole lot going on here when it comes to that sustainability piece. Um, and retailers today have really lofty sustainability goals. We see them every single day. They're very, very pronounced and they're, they're talking about them a lot, right? Cause they're, it's what, industry is talking about. Um, And so what are some good examples of retailers today uh, that are changing some of these areas of their business to prioritize circular uh, circularity a little bit better?
2: Yeah, I'll I'll start this one if that's okay, John. (laughs) Um, I think, you know, it's still, pretty early days. And it's very exciting to see that there's a lot of um, shift in demand from consumers and shift in what, um, you know, how retailers are coming out in the world. As you say, they've got a lot of lofty goals. And um, our hope is to see, watch those goals turns into more and more action. But we are seeing some really compelling ones. Um, I think in general, the Again, kind of thinking about that waste hierarchy of, um, you know, recycling is great, but we should be thinking about how we design our products, how we consume our products. Um, so the things that are most compelling to me are almost always when we see business model changes, um, when... when. Um, Retailers are offering rental services, their subscription services, resale of of used goods. Um, When they're actually shifting how their business operates in the world, that's when we find it most, um, when I find it most compelling. So some good examples of that, um, REI, as an example, has um, kind of built out a rental model for how, uh, for consumers to rent the goods, uh, the outdoor goods that they have uh, they also have a used gear shop they provide maintenance for bikes and other products they're really working to fi- try out different models and then also keep those goods out in the world longer um and make you know encouraging people to hold on to them or to um to hold on to them longer themselves or for the business to hold on to them longer because the longer a product can can uh last again the the longer it takes for it to actually deteriorate, the more money they can get out of it by renting it or reselling it. Um, it actually has a, a better uh, economic benefit for the company. Um, so REI is a great example. Um, there's actually a department store in the UK that I've recently seen in headlines called Selfridges. I think that's how you say it. I'm, I'm totally unfamiliar prior to this, but they actually they have a commitment for um, 45% of their transactions to be um, from products that are recycled materials, Or sold through services like resale, repair, or refills um, by 2030. And um, again, I think this like kind of omni-channel, if you will, aka what a retail servicer that's that's not just reselling their products or not just renting their products, but trying a variety of different models all at once is really compelling. Uh, It requires a lot of um, shifting of how operations work. Um, And they've done a lot of really um, great uh, repairs in their store. Um, I would love to see a world in which, you know, you can go to your your local retailer, you bought a product there recently, and they've got a repair service on site. Um, A good example of that. Uh, to tack on is is Nordstrom. John uh, mentioned to me that he had recently learned that they are the largest employer of tailors in the United States. Um, so they are repairing and customizing products. Um, and again, I think that would be, I would love to live in a world where that is normalized and um, enabled across the board. Anyway, um, there's a bunch of different um, retailers that are really st- dipping their toes into this space and trying out new channels, new models. Um, and I'm really excited to see where all of this goes. My, my hope is that, again, we're going to see more of that omni-channel approach, more multiple new business models tried out. Um, but I think it's still early days. So we're going we're gonna to see where we go.
1: Yeah, I'll just add, I, I think it's not uh, not necessarily, or it shouldn't come as a surprise that some of the sort of leading brands in the retailer space are taking taking the lead in this area, right? So you've got Nordstrom on tailoring, you know, REI is a, a leader in, in selling outdoor gear. So it's not not unexpected that they would be moving into this space. You've got brands like Patagonia that have been resell- reselling products for quite a while and um, I recently had a really good conversation with somebody from Neiman Marcus about some of the work that they're doing about pulling back some of their like best sellers from out in the world to resell within their stores. So you see like a lot of high end, you know, really high quality products being resold and repaired and refurbished. It makes a lot of sense, right? So those things sort of follow from each other. And I think um, it's someplace to watch as brands and, and retailers really start to focus on, you know, how do they get a second, third, you know, fourth sale or use out of their products? Um, I, you know, I think it's this idea of, of expanding the economy without growing uh, our extraction practices, which is really important.
2: Exactly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I also want to tie this back really quickly to something that you mentioned earlier, too, where um, I think you'd mentioned that there's, there might be an issue somewhere down the line um, of there might be too many used goods um, and that we're kind of in that space too. Um, How do you think that is going to play an impact with some of these subscription models and some of these kind of renting channels out there and these different retailers like that? Like, is that going to be an issue at some point?
1: Yeah, uh, I'll start. I think it will be. Um, I I think, you know, if, it, we, we can't continue down the dual tracks of sort of fast fashion and new business models without something coming to a head eventually where there's just too much material out there. Um, and so I think, you know, we're not far from a time where some really innovative ideas around what to do with that end-of-life material is going to be important, right? Whether it's some sort, some form of, of new recycling method, whether it's repurposing these clothing, clothing items into something else, of high value, Um, you know, I think we're going to run out of of runway here pretty soon uh, to to figure that out. Um, And I I think, as I mentioned earlier, we're already seeing it, right? There's already uh, countries where we ship a lot of donated items um, that they just have no use for. uh, They they have way too much donation coming in uh, to really match the need.
2: For sure. Uh, And my, I'll tack on my hope is that the more we shift to these subscription models, to these resale models where a company is continuing to see value in a product lasting longer, that that um, motivation will kind of shift upstream and encourage and enable the design of products that last longer. The problem with a fast fashion product is it won't last in a rental model, in a resale model, um, because, again, it's not designed to last. It's designed to be consumed and worn, you know, three or so times and and then to be thrown away, Um, whereas a, a product that's really designed well for a rental model is going to have Um, inherent design principles that are, it's built to be repaired. It has better stitching. It has materials that um, won't deteriorate the more it's washed or or, um, worn. So the hope is that by creating the financial incentive that the the products that we make will actually shift as well. Um, and then hopefully, fingers crossed, we won't have that same problem of so much downstream materials that we need to manage. Um, and then, and then, as as John mentioned, that last step, the technologies that will hopefully come into play to help us manage those materials but that should be really be like our bottom priority we should be again reducing a heck of a lot more before we think about what the um how we shift the technology to recycle what we have
0: yeah absolutely no that's a good that's a good reminder too just to kind of think about that as consumers that Really think about the purchases that you are buying um, before before you buy them. Right, think about look at that material. Think about the brands that that you're used to purchasing with, and maybe see if there's some places where you can shift, even if it costs a little bit extra, because it's probably going to actually when you think about that, it's probably going to cost you a little bit less in the long term too. Right? There's lots of things we can think about there.
2: Yeah. Um, I want to shift a little to that. Ooh, sorry. Go. No, no, no. Going. <laughs> I was just going to say that upfront cost of a more expensive product that's going to last longer often deters people, but realistically, that, you know, those fancy pair of leather shoes, they're going to last a heck of a lot longer than the, the plastic ones that you might be tempted to buy that you can buy several of, so and the upfront totally. will last longer. Sorry, go ahead though.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, totally. It's a really good reminder. It's a really good reminder because I think this is something that a lot of consumers, we, we struggle with sometimes when it comes to these purchases, we think of them as a big purchase upfront, but really that, that cost is going to be, it, it, it expands over a long period of time, right? So it really does, it really does come back in a, in a good way. Um, I want to shift a little bit to logistics and, talking about Nordstrom also really makes me think about this as well, is that they have the best return policy and they always have. And I think they've switched that a little bit um, in the last few years, but like, I remember, I remember being 14 long, long time ago and like you could buy something and no matter what, they're always going to return it. Right. And that's something that they've really, they've built a brand off of. And um, as we think about some of these items that end up being, they return or like REI taking um, used goods back, I know they have like their models a little different in that sense, but if Nordstrom, um, if they were to start taking items back, or if there's some other big brands that are taking them back, what does that really mean for that logistics piece for a retailer that they have to start thinking of if they're going to get items that are thrifted or taken back on consignment, and they're not really used to doing that, how big of a shift is that going to be for them um, to kind of process those? I'll,
1: I'll start on this one. Um, Cause I, one of the examples that I learned about this year is uh, what On Running is doing uh, with their, they developed a new shoe that's only available through a subscription model, right? And so they, as they were developing this new shoe, they had to build up the warehousing and the reverse logistics to get it back. And when I talked to them about this, they basically said it's like building a whole new business within an existing business. So I think the the idea of keeping tabs on your customer and knowing where and how they're using their products, getting those products back through, you know, consolidation and reverse logistics back to where you can use them again. Those are both going to be really big challenges for most of the economy. The bright spot I think is that, you know, even over the last few years we've seen improvements in this space, right? So almost anything you order from an online retailer now comes with a return label ready in case you're not going to use it. Oftentimes the mailer that it comes in is a a double use mailer. So you could stick the thing back in and send it back. So I think we're already starting to see the sort of the early phases of this where online retailers, brands that sell online are already starting to think about returns and granted they're thinking about returns because this thing doesn't fit or I don't want it. I want to send it back right away, but the same, the same mentality can be applied for a product at the end of its first use. Right. So Um, I think we're starting to see the the sort of early formations of this, but we are also hearing that a lot of brands are challenged with it, right? They're going to have to, they're really going to have to invest in the technology to be able to to track these items long-term.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So we could see, we, yeah, I was going to, I was just going to add, we could see, you know, companies that already exist in the marketplace expanding, right? So Amazon has logistics. They have vans driving all over the world. Uh, They could start doing reverse logistics. You've got FedEx, UPS, all the other, you know, all the other companies that you see driving around neighborhoods every day. They're already sort of set up to do some of this potentially. And then, you know, there's also, I think, a space for whole new companies to step in and develop reverse logistics models, right? So there's actually an economic opportunity here for new companies to build up, Uh, that can handle some of this reverse logistics.
2: Yeah, it is probably the biggest headache we, we constantly hear amongst, um, retailers or amongst e-commerce, um, folks, um, reverse logistics is an exceedingly difficult process, but if you think about it, we've spent, um, you know, decades now, uh, Streamlining and improving the process of delivering goods to consumers, and I think it's just a question of applying the same gumption to the return process. Um, it's going to be a bumpy road. It's a, uh, it's definitely a trickier process than getting uh, materials to people because you have to sort through and repair and fix and look at the where uh, you know assess the product, um, but. I am confident that there are solutions that will continue to to grow and as as John said I think there's going to, could there's a lot of potential for new players and disruptors to come into the space and improve and cha- and change the way that this um, process is managed. We have forgotten a lot of the ways that we used to consume goods um you know back Back in the day, we would have our milk delivered by a milkman, and he would come and pick up the bottles just as much as he would deliver them. So I think it's just a question of relearning and shifting how these processes work. Um, not saying it's going to be easy; it's going to be challenging. But um, if we can if we can figure out a way for uh, goods to arrive in your door two days or a day after you purchase it, I think we can figure this one out as well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yep. Totally. That is, that is absolutely true. And it's, I think just even starting by having these conversations now, like that is a really good place to start, right? Cause everything starts with a conversation and the more that, the more that retailers and e-commerce, they, they really get behind how some of these changes and how some of these impacts can then impact, not just them as a business, right. But really the entire environment as a whole, then we're all going to start kind of coming together, putting our heads together and figuring out what that looks like. Um, and that conversation's already started. So we're one step closer. So, yep. which is good. Yep. Uh, if you had to leave us as consumers, as anyone as a consumer, about how we can positively impact a circular economy, um, what advice would you leave us with? <laughs> See, <laughs> I-
2: uh, this is, um, I feel like a, I don't want to be always too preachy uh, ever, but I think in general, John and I are very aligned on we all just need to be consuming a lot less than we have been um in general i think we're in a society where again we're we're enabled to and even incentivized to be consuming the next new thing um and consuming at a much more rapid pace than we ever have been in the past. And we need to get back to a culture of valuing the products that we have, that we own, um, holding onto them as long as we can, and finding ways to uh, repair and extend their life rather than um, you know, throwing them away for the new uh, shiny toy. Um, so in general, I think my, my hope is that everyone thinks about holding on to the things that they, they own, um, and when, uh, when you do need new things, look for those um, secondhand goods, look to, to buy things um, through resale channels, or uh, if it's something that you know you won't need for long, try to find a way to rent it, try to find a way to do it through a shared economy. Um, we, in general, need to be shifting a lot of the ways that we, we look and value products. Um, though I will say in general, I don't want to pay a place too much onus or blame on the consumer either. This is, we are in a society that was designed for us to want to consume and to want to consume more and more and more. Um, so valuing those brands that are, that are boldly stepping into this space of saying, you know. I, we want to produce less. We want to you to hold on to things longer. Um, supporting those companies that are that are uh, championing that message um, will also go a long way. John, do yeah. you have anything else to add?
1: <laughs> you know, I'll go back to this this idea of sort of cost of ownership, right? Like we think as as a society and, you know, especially like here in North America, we think about this when we talk about buying a car or like a big, a big ticket item, right? We talk about total cost of ownership and a lot of times we're willing to pay a little bit more upfront to save long-term. I think we really need to start applying that more to the everyday items, you know, whether it's clothing, household appliances, tools, furniture, you know, whatever. There's there's any number of things that we buy uh very regularly that we could apply this same adage to and i think um you know fast fashion is just a a good highlight of that right like if we buy some staple items that'll last us years and years versus seasonal items that might last us five to ten wears um we're gonna save a lot of money over time and i think i think applying that sort of economic lens to the way we buy everyday products uh, is probably a good start as well um you know not just looking at the low sticker price if that's still a term in today's digital world. Um, So, you know, not just thinking of something as a good deal, but something as valuable for the long term, I think is going to be important too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Really looking back at some of those habits. And it's interesting because the pandemic really threw up, it made a huge change in one of my habits. And I weirdly love the smell of library books I think they smell fabulous like I love library books yes but COVID the li- I mean the libraries weren't open during COVID so all of a sudden I got on this and I read all the time so I got on this habit of like constantly buying books on my Kindle or buying books to be delivered and I was like Rebecca get back to the library they're open now right so it's like getting like you change from one habit to another and then it's like getting back to that habit and it's that's a yeah. process in itself so that's I think something we're all working on now
2: Exactly. And I think we often view the way that we operate in this world, the way we consume goods, the way that we've shopped um, as immobile. This is like how it is. And I think the pandemic, to your point, was a really good reminder of like, oh, wow, things can actually shift pretty pretty dramatically pretty quickly, and we can figure out new ways of of living and operating. So I think not being, being flexible and fluid in in how we, how we think about these things and how we consume in the world and where we spend our money. That's, um, it's a valuable lesson for all of us to, to reevaluate.
1: Yeah. And you're hundred percent correct. Libraries and used bookstores have yes. the best smells in the world.
2: Best, <laughs> best smells. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> it,
0: it smells so good. <laughs> um, well, on that note, thank you so much for joining. Um, this has been this has been great learning so much about circular economy. Um can you real quick just let everybody know where they can find Greenbiz and where they can find you online if they want to reach out, social, email whatever you want to share.
1: Yeah, uh so you can find us at uh www.greenbiz.com it's biz uh Susan and I both contribute to our Circularity weekly newsletter. Uh, A lot of those articles go up on that website. You can also subscribe to that newsletter uh, on our our homepage. Uh, We also have our Circularity conference every year. Uh, This next one is coming up June 5th through the 7th in Seattle. Um, We're very excited. We'll bring together about uh, we're we're shooting for 1200 uh folks from all over the economy uh that are working on on implementing the circular economy in their companies or their cities or you know w- whatever uh they inhabit um and yeah we're i mean i'm on social uh media a little bit at, on twitter and, and linkedin um but yes is anything i missed there <laughs>
2: no i i know i um he, personal goal a couple years ago was to get off social media. So I don't have any, <laughs> any links to share there, although I am on LinkedIn. Um, and yeah, as John said, I think best way to, to hear more from us is really greenbiz.com and subscribing to our newsletter. Uh, lots of interesting stuff coming out that way. So uh, hopefully we'll see you there.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Yep. And I'll make sure that your LinkedIn, all these links are in the show notes. I can attest that the newsletter is great. Get it frequently read all these articles. So make sure you go and follow that. And thank you for your time. It was a great conversation.
1: Yeah, thanks for having us, Rebecca. This was fun.
0: Thanks for listening in to the Lime Loops Behind the Green podcast. If you want to listen to other episodes, visit anchor.fm slash the Lime Loop, and we'll see you in your next time.